0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Low Vision Moments. It's the podcast all about those sometimes frustrating, potentially embarrassing, but often pretty comical things that happen when you are just going about your day with blindness, visual impairment, or albinism. I'm Jenny Bovard. I'm the creator and host around here, and this is episode number 28. Now before we get going, I have a quick little confession to make. This is actually our second attempt at recording this episode, not to ruin the magic for all of you, but due to technical problems caused by, you guessed it, a low vision moment on my part, this is a first time that we've had to redo an entire episode and uh, you know we could have released it with what we had but you the listeners the viewers you are the best and that means you deserve the best in audio and video quality so here we are we're moving on we're doing a take two and uh, I have no doubt that my guest and I will be able to recapture the magic that was our first conversation the first time around. Now, I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy and that's been since forever. I have like three or four comedy shows that I have tickets lined up for already in the spring and summer, so I'm really pumped about that. But nothing speaks to me more than when the satire is relatable uh, with a side of reality, really. I like the relatability and the side of reality because that just brings it all together for me. And this guest, I think they do just that. They really do that for me anyway. They are they are a uh, comedian originally from the USA, residing in British Columbia now. Good choice, by the way, Uh, and uh, they've been performing in comedy since the 1990s, entertaining audiences across North America and beyond. You might have caught their stand-up special called Blind Ambition. They've been to probably every comedy festival you can think of, including a little one you might have heard of called Just for Laughs. They've been on Conan O'Brien, Comedy Central... And I have to say, their 2021 album, Super Bloom, it's available on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you find your stuff. It is the shit. You need to go and get it and listen to it. Um, I can't recommend that enough. So yeah, this guest... They're a bit of a legend, and uh, I'm really happy that they're able to take the time and come back and do this thing with me again. Welcome to the very funny and philosophical Daryl Lennox.
0: Thank you, Jenny. I appreciate you uh, having me. Uh, I look forward to being in Halifax, and let's dig into this thing and see what kind of juice we can squeeze out of it.
1: Oh, man, I can't wait for you to come to Halifax. And again, I'm just so pumped that you're here with me again. Now, your resume is in the comedy and entertainment industry is uh well it mine pales in comparison and i'm not making an albino joke but it really truly pales in comparison so i thought maybe i could share some of my experiences attempting to work in entertaining people and uh and maybe we can compare notes a little bit i'm sure we'll have some differences but there are always those little commonalities too does that sound okay to you
0: sure let's get it i'd like to hear about
1: it (laughs) right on so Let me set the scene. This is a a little over 10 years ago. I was sort of fresh out of film and TV college. I have a diploma in that field. And I was out in Vancouver living out there, uh, your neck of the woods. And I was trying to get my foot in the door, get into the film industry to tell some stories and get creative. I was really keen on working in that industry, thanks to my dad for being a big film buff. But I was out there and I fresh diploma and I was basically taking any job I could get to try and be on a set and just be part of Be part of the project. So I took a job as a PA, a production assistant. And I don't know if this goes today, but they called us gophers back then. You're gonna go for the coffee, you're gonna go for that beverage over there, you're gonna go for that wire sitting on the table that the gaffer needs, etc. You're gonna run and do whatever job that needs doing. So that was me. I was fine to be that person. I, my understanding was that I would do this for a while and sort of build up my resume, get the better jobs as you go, as it were. So it's not an interest an easy industry to break into, but at this time, I was also really not open about my visual impairment. I was trying to fly under the radar with very little success. This time I managed to fly under the radar, though. So this was East Vancouver. We are shooting on like East Hastings Street, right across the street from the now police station. Right across the street is like a police museum type thing. And we were filming a public service announcement. And it was an anti-drug public service announcement. First of all, this was like one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. There was a grown man dressed up like a joint like a doobie and I and I just kept thinking this is the silliest thing I don't know if this is going to be effective but hey I'm here and I'm going to get some experience (laughs) so we're in East Hastings on East Hastings and this area you may know it's it's a little bit of a rough around the edges type area. Um uh, there there's there's um, a lot of uh, homeless people who are unhoused tend to to congregate around there and there's uh, it's known for some crime and maybe problematic substance use. So it's 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 a difficult area to um, Not a difficult area, but it's a bit of an area that's a rough around the edges. I'm trying to be delicate in describing the scene here, but I want to paint a bit of a picture. So my first job that day was to watch the truck out front of this police museum with my eyes that did not work very well at all. This truck was filled with very expensive gear <laughs> And very expensive things that are required to produce this public service announcement. Me being stubborn and not wanting to disclose anything, I said, sure, I'll watch the truck. No problem. All the while I'm thinking, wow, I'm really flying under the radar here. These people have no idea. I can't see. And. I had no business being, I had no business watching that truck. Honestly, nothing was stolen. Nothing bad happened. But the whole time I was standing there trying my best to look out for danger, I kept thinking, man, these people are really not very observant. Like, Because if they had seen me try to navigate down a pair of stairs or read anything, trying to navigate around a new space, I, I don't know how I flew under the radar. So they should have either known that I was visually impaired. There were clues, okay? I also told them I don't drive. I didn't say why. But a PA, it's handy if they can drive. I told them I didn't. I was dropping clues here and there. But I was either visually impaired or high as a kite and did not belong on this job, this particular van watching job. But I, I it was not a success but it was okay. And it worked out. So that day was okay. But it was really kind of a strange experience for me where I was like, I don't know how much more of this I can do while still flying under the radar. But that's not the case for for you, right? Like, you are very open about your visual impairment, you talk about it in your material. And, and, and i and and it surely like lends itself to when you're writing your material. I'm sure that it allows you to weave it in there like i said and 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 I wonder, Daryl, were there any points along the way where you questioned like am I going to be able to continue in this industry while you're experiencing vision loss while your vision was changing
0: uh I never once thought I wasn't going to. Once I started, and it didn't matter what happened one eye, two eyes, no toes, whatever. I knew I wasn't going to stop. Um, probably one of the most significant moments of my journey was I was given a book called Conversations with God. And I understand the power of the phrase I am. And so, uh, for a while, I would never say I am deficient in vision, I am low. Risk. I just wouldn't say it because that made it even more true uh, on an energetic level. I am, and so, but when I got to, you know, losing the left eye and I'm now eventually the right eye, now, uh, just because I can't say I am blind doesn't mean that that's a permanent state of being for me. So it, it's just a, a part of who I am now. And so as far as the comedy goes, I have to write to my I am statements. And so I am great. And that is seen. I am great without being able to see. So I'm very, very particular about my I am statements. But I've had so many embarrassing moments because I refuse to say it or refuse to acknowledge it. Um, And I think it's interesting with your story how, you know, you're giving them clues when you could have just said, you know, I can't see very well. (laughs) So yeah, it's it's just a hard thing to do. Um, and so I would do similar things, but because being a stand-up is different than being part of a team, I could fool a lot more people. I just, you know, I, I just, I, I don't drive, I don't see well enough to drive, but that didn't affect me from performing in any kind of way. Uh, once, I actually, when I was doing Conan, I thought I was going to, so in rehearsals, they kept trying to find X so I can hit the mark, and I just couldn't see that X. It was a huge, that X, a helicopter could have landed on the X that they had on there. <laughs> I kept missing it and kept missing it and kept missing it. And so then finally they said, okay, let's just do the best we can. And so when it was live action time, I come out there and I stopped at least a good four foot short of that I was supposed to. And I just stopped and just started doing the show. But because of my bad eyes, I just, you know, I i just, I just got scared. But I just knew at the end of the day, just be who you are. And then everything else adapt around that. Uh, but. I love it now. I love every aspect of it now.
1: I have to say the fact that you you just have the right attitude in my opinion when when you go through changes in your vision, when you experience vision loss, no matter how quickly or slowly that happens throughout your life, that's a huge adjustment. So to have the right attitude, I think that's always just like the first step. and so. That's amazing for you that you've been able to come around and have those I am statements. And really, I think there's real power. You harness some real power when you are able to acknowledge these things and share with other people, right? Uh, But for me, it wasn't like that. I was born with the same level of vision. And I tried to, as I said, fly under the radar and hide it and and failed miserably. And now it's just so much easier to move about the world and interact with people uh, as as more of an open book. It doesn't always go as planned. And and there were times, Daryl, when... I, uh, I I really didn't think that I, I had a chance in hell. I really didn't think that I could do anything related to storytelling or entertaining. Uh, and And one of the experiences that made me think that was, again, I was still living in Vancouver. I was on a different project as a PA. This was the second and last project that I did sort of just showing up and working on a set and uh, easily enough like you thought you would think it would be easy enough all I had to do was set up the food ahead of time before the rest of the crew was to show up so we were at one location well they were at one location they were coming to the second location where I was to be setting up the food the food had been delivered it was sitting outside and all I had to do was move it inside now, again, to set the scene a little bit, I have a uh, really intense light sensitivity, extreme light sensitivity. So uh, for a lot of people in the summertime or in the brighter months, when you step outside and it's really, really sunny and you're out there for a while, your eyes adjust and then you come back inside and your eyes have to take a few minutes to adjust when you come back inside to the change in lighting. Well, in this particular venue, it was like some dark it's like a dark, like Legion Lions Club type venue. No windows in this place. Dark, dark, dark. So you'd be in the sunny, sunny outdoors uh, and, and step inside. It's just completely dark. It took forever for my eyes to adjust, and that's normal for me. But I was bringing food outside, inside, outside, inside. So I had figured out a scheme, you know, I had mapped out basically my route from the door to the table where I need to put all the food. It was going well. No one was around to see me doing my blind stuff, counting the steps and all that to get it figured out. But when it came to the last thing, the last thing were, uh, it was like a flat of cans of pop, like the long, short, cardboard box and the cans of pop are kind of popping out the top and they're but they're not sealed so that's like a whole flat there's a bunch of pop in there I don't know probably like 12 or more cans of pop. And this is my last thing to bring inside, Daryl. I was perhaps a little cocky by this point because I had done so well with the food. And I was like, this is the last thing I have to do. So I've got the flat of pop and I step over the threshold to go into this dark ass venue. And don't I trip over the little, the little thing that is the threshold. Just no depth perception over here completely missed the threshold i think anybody could have done that but i'm pretty sure my vision had something to do with it i trip and spill a bunch of these cans of pop four or five of them fall out of the friggin box they hit the concrete luckily outside of the door so they didn't fall in the venue luckily they at least fell outside the venue on the concrete but as they're hitting the concrete, Daryl, you know, like when you drop a can of pop or, or something carbonated, it's going, psh, psh, psh. and all I'm hearing is these cans of pop are hitting the friggin' ground. I'm hearing, psh, you shouldn't be here. Psh, you're too blind to do this. Psh, psh, you should have studied something more practical in college. <laughs> I'm just like, fuck, man, this is the worst. What am I going to do? So I was able to clear up these cans, get rid of them, I'm obviously not able to clear up the pop in front of the doorway, like I don't have a hose or anything, but I got rid of the cans of pop the exploded cans and I threw them away. Um, and I thought I was in the clear, but then as the people started showing up, they're stepping in the paw, they're stepping in the mess that I made out front and then they're coming inside and all day I was hearing <laughs> and their shoes and their feet sticking to the floor. And every time it was like <laughs> just peeling away a piece of my dignity. And I was just like, that's it. I basically, I threw in the towel. I was essentially like, I don't think I can I can't fly under the radar anymore, and I am so not about to try and explain what I cannot do in this industry. I didn't think that I could be taken seriously explaining my visual impairment and albinism, and that's not thats not a constructive way to be, but that's how I felt at the time, and... I, I didn't feel like I could be taken seriously. So I was like, you know what? I got to start working on my plan B. I'm not working in this industry. So I went and did some other stuff. But then I came around to AMI and and I've had a, a lot of really awesome opportunities. So I'm an open book now, right? Um, And and I try to always, uh, with my vision and my albinism anyway, I'm always really open. It's And again, like I said, it's just so much easier to interact with the world a lot of the times and like I said earlier, you do such a great job at weaving those ridiculous blindness stereotypes with the realities. And and sometimes we have to get a little dark and you do that and you touch on the dark and difficult stuff when it comes to vision loss and when it comes to everyday life. Because you talk about a lot of different things, right? Not just blindness. You talk about politics and so many other interesting things. And I find that you do that so well with a dose of that reality And not all comedians do that. A lot of people don't say anything real about themselves. You don't know if that guy's just making a marriage joke or if he's really married, right? Right. But that's not you. I feel like you're very open. Is there anything that you're not open about when you're on stage?
0: Um, If I've experienced it, I probably have spoken about it on stage. I just think that, uh, you know, in my quest to be significant and galvanizing and, you know, Eric, I'm just picking one of the best I have to dig into a library of life experience that nobody else, you know, has articulated before. But if, if, when, when I do, it has a land that on a human relatability to almost anybody and everybody. And so, uh, the, the trick of this part of being now, you know, blind is I feel even more gigantic and even more relatable because, uh, in a weird way, like, because I grew up the way I grew up with my family and being Black American, you know, uh, my blindness does not affect uh, their uh, delayed rent payments or bills. And so they're like, mm, I'm sorry to hear that, but I still got to make a payment. And so it's just a part of, they're like, so what, you're blind, I'm broke. So that's made me go, okay, I have to be, I'm still a big part of life. And my big blindness uh, has very little to do with other people's sadness or bereavement or whatever they're going through. And we still need to laugh. And so I try to use my life experiences, which encompasses being blind, so it, it lands on everybody. Because we all got something. My blindness is not worse than your albinism and or worse than, you know, my, my friend Maggie's paralysis. So the human element of all that is what I really try to strive to find the fun in all of it. Uh, but I'm just trying to be as great as I can and care as much as I can and find some laughter to be the connective tissue between all of it. I
1: love that. The, the connective tissue. That's great. Cause it is all so connected right. and you're so right. We've all got our stuff. Right. We, we, you know, we all, some, some of us have multiple things right. that we have to deal with that are difficult. And, uh, and I, I, and I, I think, I, I think you articulated it probably better than I will, but in, in, in your experience as a person who's gone through vision loss, you are relatable to so many more people and and, and and your material is able to be so much broader. And your the stories that you tell and how you engage your audiences, you're able to touch that many more people with your stories, whether they have a personal relationship to blindness or not. Thank you for bringing them around to our world, right? Because it sort of exposes them to... Blindness. And and it's okay to laugh sometimes, right?
0: Sure. It's it's just an introductory step to the to the relationship. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so I just meet you at the bar and next to you know, you find that I'm blind. And then once once we get past those first two steps of the questions and the, the thing, now we're we're way more intimate than we would be if we're both looking at each other judging each other. And so that's the space I love, that place of intimacy, quick and intimacy of Now, with this new comfort zone of you're not being judged by me, basically. And you could just look at me openly or watch how I, you know, use my finger or poke my tongue out to touch the tip of the glass. So now we're intimate. We are actually, you know, metaphorically in bed together. And this is pillow talk now. And that's where the growth in humanity is. when we can get past all of our stuff and just get intimate. Uh, Oh, look at my scars. Look at this ward on my butt. Now we're growing. (laughs) And that's the stuff that I dig the most.
1: Oh, man. A- absolutely. Yeah. And 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 to g- get away from from the, you know, industry talk, as it were, but on a, on a more relationship level, nothing is more meaningful than when someone can understand why i'm doing something in what may be perceived as a weird way do you know what i mean why am i holding my food so close to my face well it's because i want to know what the hell is on my fork i want to know how much hot sauce is on there before i dive in right and so if you can understand that you're now my people so you're you know and that's you said it's an introductory thing when you're on stage but it is so impactful and and it's relatable for us in the blind and visually impaired community, yeah. we want to be part of your satire. Include us, please. Now, I just to bring it back to sort of trying to work with teams and 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 employment in entertainment and and the business of telling stories. Um, I I think sometimes it, for me because it's not always obvious for some people. That I have a visual impairment or that I have um, that I have real everyday considerations because of the albinism. We're pretty rare. We're like one in 20,000 people with albinism. So I don't blame people for not knowing Uh, about all of that right and I think sometimes no matter how clear or open or collaborative we try to be I found particularly in employment settings um, sometimes the barrier can just be not necessarily the want to understand but I think other people they mean well sometimes and they just don't get it when it comes to applying the things that I've explained to you putting it into practical application. So for example, I was working on a documentary project last year. It it didn't get completed for a number of reasons, but leading up to this project and all throughout production, I part of my duty was to help them explain how I uh, how I can function on a set whether that's inside or outside, lighting, this kind of thing. And in particular, when we would be filming in an outdoor setting or a naturally lit setting where there'd be some sunshine. So I basically explained several times the logistics of the sunscreen, the fact that if we're going to be outside, There, first of all, was no reason for us to be outside for this project. It could have been all done inside in a studio, but we were trying to mix things up visually, I think. So anyway, we ended up being outside. And I had explained several times that I need lots of warning if we're going to be outside and I need to put sunscreen on 30 minutes in advance, 15 to 30 minutes in advance. And then I'm going to need to reapply that every 60 minutes to two hours, depending on what's going on and some other factors so that includes makeup you know makeup for tv is not a quick thing and i had to do that on my own as well which is fine but there were these scheduling nightmares i should say before i talk about the nightmares daryl they were really good with the indoor lighting if we were setting up lights uh shooting inside very receptive very understanding everything was beautifully diffused but when it came to outside It's like they couldn't apply the things that I had explained to them. For example, I showed up a couple of times and they're like, oh, we're shooting outside this morning. Wait, what? You mean now I have to take off all of my makeup, put on sunscreen, do my makeup all over again? That was such a pain. And like, okay, I'm not trying to be... I'm not trying to be a prima donna or whatever, but it's like, you could have just told me in the schedule that you sent me last night that I was going to be outside this morning. It's kind of a big deal. And then we had a whole day. I got the schedule the night before. Whole day. Hottest frigging day of the year, Daryl. Hottest day of the year. Sun beaten down. I get the schedule the night before. We're going to be outside all day. So I made a phone call to the director and I said, "Dude, outside all day, where am I going to wash my sunscreen and makeup off and reapply it? Where am I what where where's the washroom? Where am I going to be? Have we planned these logistics?" "Oh, don't worry, there's plenty of shade and you can sit in the air-conditioned car." "Nowhere." In any of my explanations did I say, "Hey, as long as I as long as I'm in the shade, I'm good." No, I'm still going to explode in to dust particles in the shade so <laughs> anyways it was a bit of a nightmare and I I just I I don't know if you've had these experiences where people just don't get it but in the aftermath I often wondered like is there something I could have done better or explained better could I have been more clear I literally use the words I'm allergic to the sun I literally use these words in trying to explain <laughs> what the deal was I mean, short of turning into a bat or sucking their blood, I don't know how else I could have explained that you're basically working with a vampire here. And I'm not trying to throw shade, uh, although I prefer shade. Um, it's not the it's not the answer. I, I just think there's so much more learning to do for us to be able to work um, at full capacity and have the same level of opportunities in this industry. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you think people just don't get it.
0: Um, Not to that magnitude, but again, because stand-up is such an individualized sport uh, that, you know, it's basically, if you get me to the microphone and the stool, I will be okay. Uh, Because now it's just, you know, know, my thoughts, my words, my actions. And uh, so, but uh, I don't know exactly if I've had any experiences like that, but I do know that... um, My willful Aquarius arrogance uh, will let me walk out there and try to do it on my own. Uh, And that leads to some bumps in the head. Uh, And I remember one point in time uh, I was doing a show in Edmonton uh, and then everybody went to this bar downstairs. And then this is a a little bit of it's a little risque of a story.
1: Oh no, nothing is nothing is too risque for us.
0: Okay. So some uh, so there was a couple and they were comedy. came to the comic show and then they're downstairs and the lady had a very, very short skirt and so she was playing pool and she was a little bear under the skirt. So everybody's standing around sneaking peeks. But I, because I had the, the vision of a tadpole, couldn't see well enough. And so I was like, What is this bullshit? So I go out in the middle floor. And, uh, and I get on the stage and dance. I'm dancing with these girls. And again, my depth perception is that of a cricket. And so uh, the DJ- You <laughs>
1: to use that.
0: <laughs> the, DJ, the DJ starts playing a Michael Jackson song to get me off the stage. And I go, I'm not gonna dance to a Michael Jackson song. I mean, I'm not sacrificing cool uh, to dance to Michael Jackson. So I step off the stage, again, with no depth special and I fall a good five feet, land, snap my leg in four places bone compound fracture, everything. And I heard it pop and I could feel the blood coming down my legs and I just, and at that moment, it's almost as if my eyes protected me. Uh, I didn't look down, I remember looking straight ahead and just said, all right, I'm the strongest dude alive. And so uh, people came and uh, EMTs came up and everything, but it almost felt like my eyes protected me from seeing something that I wasn't supposed to see. I felt like I've always had that relationship with my eyes. As much as I thought they were their uh, handers to me, it seems like they've always protected me from seeing things I wasn't supposed to see. So now that I'm at zero vision, uh, it's, it's like they're saying, okay, you've got it from here now. I've gotten you this far, now you gotta trust your instinct completely. I'm not helping you anymore this way. And so it's been a ridiculously empowering experience. And so anytime there are some shortcomings, when it does happen, it's almost like I still have a sense of humor. Like uh, this past March, when COVID was at this craziest moment, I got rejected from the board in Canada to come to my condo uh, here in Vancouver. And so they sent me, but they, so we walked across. So my assistant and the, uh, the guard is walking me they had me want me to straight to a line that like, we couldn't go past the line. Otherwise, we step into U.S. territory. So U.S. immigration is supposed to be waiting for me on the other side. They can't step across their line because then they'd be in Canadian territory. So I'm in the middle of nowhere. On the way to go into this line, uh, I'm just traumatized. Like, I've been in Florida for three months. My brain's, I want to get home. I want to get to Vancouver. And uh, ran into a pole. Bang! Right in the middle of it. And I was like, oh my. And I wanted to cry but it's almost like my eyes said, hey, there are way tougher things than this you have to deal with. Bang! So they let me loose like a balloon and I have to wander some hundred yards or meters towards from one Canadian fisherman to an American. And they both yell at me opposite direction. Okay, go to the left, which is right. Go right. And so I was just weaving with my suitcase and my show shoes on and my stick and a bag on my back wandered into the abyss between two countries and again if my eyes had worked at all by then I would probably be crying and freaking out but I had to be so aware of trying to get to the right voice and so I feel so I feel like I'm in great partnership with my eyes no matter what always felt like that way instead of resisting them now they're like okay man you got it from here. And eventually i found the right country
1: i'm amazed that in even in the moment you're able to have such a strong sense of self i'm, I'm amazed because there are so many th- i've i've been there i've hurt myself i've conked my head i've fallen downstairs and and it usually in the okay i think i'm getting better but in the moment I probably would still cry, you know? Um, so I'm just impressed by your you just had such a strong sense of self. And if I could take anything away from our conversation, I think it's it's that and and I'm starting to learn this too, I think, as I as I am more of an open book, as I said, about my visual impairment. But there is real power in just using your past experiences as a point of reference in life. Like if I can. Fall off my bike and get a head injury, and come out of that a okay, and then start up a tandem biking program for other people who are blind or visually impaired. Right. You know, we can do anything now. That's right. Surely, you know, sure, surely I can figure out the next thing. So I think there's so much power in that, and 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 I just I'm so grateful that you are doing what you do because again, we want to be part of that satire we want to be included and you do such a fine job of doing that and uh i just want to say thank you, thank you. <laughs> for including us well, and continuing to do what you do please don't stop
0: i can't how could i i can't how could i i won't to me this is not a crying offense I, that's why i've never once cried about you know my eyes never once i've never because if if i cry then that means I feel bad. And then people can see me crying Then they get to feel bad. And you don't get to feel bad about me because, you know, I'm bigger, stronger, faster, whether I can see you or not. And so this is not something I need to be sad about. This is just going to make me a uh, another proverbial bullet in my chamber. Excuse American reference. But it's just it's just this is just another another uh, asset for me to be a part of. And when I was fighting it, even though my eyes are like, hey, man, you know, you're going to have this by yourself at some point. When I treat it like a liability and act like it was liability, well, I had liability-laden results. And I'm not having that. And so I won't bend to anything other than greatness. Otherwise, what, why are we here? And so if that means i fall down the stairs or break my leg or run into a pole while I'm getting kicked out of a country or whatever it is, then that's just what it's supposed to be. But it's there to make me bigger, better, badder. And so I won't bend.
1: There's got to be a better way to get people across the border who can't see. You you, uh, brought back memories of trying to go through the security thing at airports, and that always is a kerfuffle. yeah. But Daryl, you're a force, my man. You are an absolute force of nature. And uh, I uh, thank you again for coming on. And I cannot wait to go and see you live here when you come to Halifax. Where can people catch you online, find you live? Where Where can we follow you?
0: From what I'm told, I'm on everything. I think I'm Twittery and i IG and whatever things are out there. I think I'm out there somewhere. And so uh, look, look for me, find me. Uh, You can always find Super Bloom and Blind Ambition uh, on all the platforms. Uh, Just I'm out there. I'm I'm giving it all I got.
1: Go get Super Bloom, people. Seriously. For more of the Force of nature that is Daryl Lennox. Again, just search him up on YouTube, Apple Music, all of your favorite streaming and media apps. It's spelled D A R R Y L L E N O X. And look for him performing in a city near you, including coming up here in Halifax, my neck of the woods. I'll keep you posted on those details as they come forth. If you're watching or listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed, I would love if you consider doing doing that please if you have a suggestion or feedback about the podcast or if you'd like to be my next victim I mean, guest. You can leave a comment on YouTube or send an email to podcasts at AMI.ca, or you can even give us a call and leave us a voicemail at one 509 4545 Once more, that phone number is one 509 4545 Just make sure to mention low vision moments in the message, please. And thank you. You can come and follow me on Instagram if that is your thing. Thing I'm there under Uber Blonde 4. That's U B E R B L O N D E, and the number 4. The following people make this podcast a reality, and they just so happen to be listed in order of most to least entertaining. Marco Flalo is our technical producer, Ryan delahanty is our podcast coordinator, and thanks to manager at AMI Audio, Andy Frank. And thank you for watching and listening. Until next time, I'd like to leave you with a little quote from the wise Daryl Lennox. We've all had hard lives, but to complain about it is useless. You know who cares less about your problems and your life than you do? Everybody.